Hello and welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks. Everybody, with me, your host, Jackson Stone. And this is episode 102 of the Jackson Talks Everybody podcast. And if you're viewing this on YouTube, you can see that we're not in my house. We're not on the famous Jackson Talks Everybody podcasting couch. We are at... What? Oh, my God. <laughs> ignore, ignore a professor there in the back. Um, he'll be on an episode of this podcast soon, so you'll watch this one, you'll watch the next one, and then you'll revisit this episode to know who that was that we just talked about. But and you'll understand. You'll understand completely. <laughs> but we are at the, as you can see from the sign, if you're watching on YouTube, um, Royal Art Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Studio in Plano, Texas. And I am joined today by Nancy Boyles. Hey. Hey. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I have one question to ask you. Okay. And uh, since we met in February, I started in February here uh, at Royal Art. We've had some very interesting and um, hard conversations, I would say, about mm-hmm. things that we've gone through. So we'll, we'll visit those things on the podcast. But I want to ask you this important question. It's the theme of this podcast as we have reached over 100 episodes. So hopefully um, you feel inclined to answer honestly. How are you doing? Like, uh, like for real, for real. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm. Uh, my son just got married this last weekend. I just got back from Panama. Okay. Um, life is good right now. We just finished training, so we're sweaty and happy. Very sweaty. But I'm good. And uh, is that your oldest son, your youngest son? How many sons do you have? I have three sons. That's my middle son. Middle son. Mm-hmm. Is everyone else married too? The oldest one's married. He lives in France. Lives in France. Uh huh. Whoa. The middle one lives in Panama. He just got married, and the baby lives in California. He's a wanderer. Where do you say the middle one lives? Uh, Panama. Oh, lives in. Oh, that's why. Uh-huh. That's why they got married in Panama. Yeah. Okay. Why do they all live everywhere? They just found people in other countries and just stayed. Yeah. <laughs> and then, are sorry, you originally from Dallas or Plano? No. Um, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. I was born in Louisiana, okay. lived in Texas, lived in Georgia, lived in Germany. Um, but I went to high school and middle school in Andrews, Texas, in West Texas. It's a tiny town near Odessa and Midland. And then I went to college at Texas Tech in Lubbock. And mm. then lived in New Mexico for 24 years. And now I've been in Plano for four years. Plano. I love Plano. You like Plano? Yeah. I like Plano. It's super safe. It's quiet it's i came from albuquerque which is crazy is it insane it's dangerous it's scary it's like everybody's angry all the time really so i came here and i'm like i don't have to look over my shoulder to get gas this is awesome you know yeah people are nice here it's an easy place to live that's true yeah it might be boring for you since you're younger but for me it's like perfect no it's not um it's not boring for me i would i would say like i I was born in California, in San Francisco, close to San Francisco, not actually in the city, but we'll just use that for context. And then we moved to Dallas. Technically, our address was in Dallas, but I went to Plano schools mm. when I was going into the seventh grade. And so I've lived here ever since. A few, I've lived a few other places. I went to school in South Dakota, and I lived in Philadelphia when I was pursuing a professional wrestling career. Oh, nice. Uh, and then moved back here and then bought a condo in Plano a few years back. Oh, nice. That's normally where I record my podcast on the famous couch. Uh, yeah, but I, I've always liked Plano. Um, I think that's why my parents chose this place, because their schools were good. Um, we're a Jewish family, so there's a lot of there's a Jewish population in Plano that was really helpful. Oh, that's good. And the schools were good. It's safe. Yeah. Um, my sister and I were both in athletics, so the sports were good. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you're, I, think you're, I think you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Have your boys visited Plano? Uh, yeah, two of them lived here for a little while, and then before they moved on to their, where, to Panama in California. Mm. The oldest one has visited. He comes usually at Christmas time, but he was in Panama, so I got to see him. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're also doing good. Yeah, they're good. Everybody's good in my family right now. Thank goodness. Yeah. We've had our moments, but right now we're good. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, we've all had our moments, definitely for sure. But that's awesome. So let's let's address this. Um, the sign that we were sitting on. <clears throat> when did um, when did BJJ start for you? How did you get on that path? Um, it started six years ago in Albuquerque, actually, because I met Ricardo, and he was teaching. I was at UFC gym working out, and he started the jiu-jitsu program there. He'd just moved 
to New Mexico. So one of my friends started the class and I was not interested at all. I thought, no, that's not my thing. I'm claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. I don't want a man on, sweaty, on, gross on top of me. And she finally convinced me to do it. And the first month, I thought I was going to quit. Mm -hmm. But I bought a gi, which was like 150 bucks. I thought... Can you explain what a gi is? A gi is what you wear to train jiu-jitsu. It's like a kimono, like what Japanese, it kind of, that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. um, but I bought it, and so... After a month, I started liking it. And I started taking private lessons with him. And then after about eight months, he moved out here. And I still wanted to promote under him because he's one of my best friends. And so I would come out here every six weeks or so and stay with him and train. My husband would come out here and we would train. And then we got an opportunity to move out here. And we became partners and started the gym. We were in a different location and now we're on Independence and Parker in Plano and we have this awesome gym. It's very fun. Jiu-Jitsu is amazing. It's life-changing, I feel like. Do you mm. think? How has it helped you? Oh. <clears throat> Turning the tables on you. Well, yeah, no, I've thought about it a lot. Like, I don't know if it's helped me. I think it's reinforce the things that I already believe to be true. Yeah. Right? I don't, like, because I did, I was a member, oh, I haven't told anyone this story, really, but I was a member at a UFC gym. They opened one, one up in Plano. Oh, yeah. And I was in professional wrestling, and everyone in professional wrestling at the time was trying to be, like, an MMA fighter. Uh-huh. So they were starting to do, like, jujitsu and MMA classes to bring that legitimacy to professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I thought everyone was doing it. I need to do it. So I took one BJJ class. I bought a, a gi, like a $200 UFC gi. <laughs> and I took one BJJ class and I hated it. <laughs> and I was like, this is not for me. I, I'm, a, I'm an entertainer. I don't, want any, I don't want this challenge. I'm already trying to learn how to be a pro wrestler. I'm just going to stick with that. So I took a 45-minute class and based my entire basis of jiu-jitsu on that class. And that was <laughs> four, four, maybe five years ago. Now... Um, with some of the stuff that's happened in my life, which we've talked about, you know, losing my sister, reevaluating everything that's important to me, um, essentially stepping back from professional wrestling and doing all these things. Uh, then I started doing Krav Maga, and then I was like, may I give BJJ another try? You know, because I listened to these podcasts about people talking about it, like mm -hmm. uh, you're voluntarily doing something that's really hard, mm -hmm. and I believe that is helpful because it makes everything in your life a little bit easier. Yeah. So, okay, that makes sense. You're putting yourself in really uncomfortable positions and situations, like someone's trying to choke you out or do this to your arm. And then when you get into life, it's like, oh, okay, now, now this is not as hard. And I was like, okay, those things make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, I really love working out and I'm kind of getting bored of the gym because I don't have anything like competitive to keep me from working out every day. I do it because I know it's good for me, but yeah. I need something to drive me because I've always been an athlete and that's uh -huh. just kind of my nature. So like, okay, that could be helpful. And then so I started it in February and like I, I basically come four or five days a week for two hours. And so it's, it's been amazing. I actually, I think I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> um, that happens. <laughs> like, so that's, that's really wild to me um, that I once hated it because I took a 45 minute class and now I take a two hour class every day. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's so interesting. Like, just like you can see that how things change. The things yeah. can change in your life so quickly. You have to be you have to be able to be open to that kind of change. Yeah. Never say never. Right? Yeah. Like never say never is so right. Because I've I've been talking about uh, my wrestling career a lot on my podcast because I stopped wrestling. But I'm not saying the words I retired uh -huh. or I'll never wrestle again. Because mm -hmm. I have no idea if that's true. Yeah. What if something like really cool happens and one of my buddies is putting on like a show and they want me to do this, like, okay, cool. Sounds good. Like I only have to do it once and like Great. Yeah, you know, so all that stuff, and I probably said at that jujitsu class that I took four or five years ago at the UFC gym that I'm never gonna do this again. Um, and here you are. And here I am because right I, here. I definitely wasn't as intentional with my words back then. I was mm -hmm. just saying whatever, you know. I wasn't yeah. meaning what I said, right? There was no gumption behind my my words. I wasn't living by any sort of value, uh, and so all that is kind of pretty cool, I'd say. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. So now I'll ask you the same question. Six years of jiu-jitsu. You own a uh, jiu-jitsu gym. Yeah. 
what have you learned? How has it altered your life? How has it oh changed my God. your life? I feel like it's made me a different person because, you know, I, I tell everybody, if I can do jujitsu, you can do jujitsu because I'm 52 and I'm fighting with people who are super young, a lot of guys that are bigger. I'm usually the smallest person. Um, but it's made me a lot tougher, you know? It's made me, what jujitsu does is it makes you figure out problems in your regular life. So I'm usually a panicker. <laughs> but when, with jujitsu, when you're fighting, you're forced to like be calm and think about a way out of the situation that you're in. If somebody's trying to break your arm, you have to figure a way out of it. If somebody's trying to choke you to death, you have to figure a way out of it. So it goes with real problems in life. You know, when you're in a situation, you're like, oh my God, you can't panic. You have to breathe and you have to figure it out. And it's, it's made me a lot calmer, I feel like. And it's, you know, it's something I never thought I could do. My husband's a black belt in judo. He's a brown belt in jujitsu. And he got a black belt a long time ago in judo. And he always, he loves martial arts. And he always tried to get me to do something, but I was never interested. I thought, mm, it's not my thing. And I know what you mean. Yeah, it, I never thought I would do jujitsu. And then I started it and I, I mean, I have a video of me and my friend doing it and we look so stupid. We didn't know anything. I'm wearing all my jewelry because I'm pretty girly, you know? And then I started it and it, it changed my life, you know? Like, like you said, I, I own the gym with Ricardo. Um, I started a CBD company, Warrior CBD. Yeah, put um, it over. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah, I did, we did that because we were at a tournament and we saw a CBD company. They're like, we could do that. And, you know, I cater to jujitsu athletes. So everything I do, my whole life is revolves around jujitsu now, which is funny because I used to be a paralegal and now I have a jujitsu gym and I have a CBD company and life can change. You know, even if you're in your late forties, life can change and life does change. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked about it, you know, things happen monumental in your life that steer things off course a little bit. And then you have to think, okay, well, I got to roll with this and I got to figure out, you know, how to move forward. And sometimes it's a different path and it turns out to be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So when you started jujitsu, you were working as a paralegal. Yeah, for my husband. And then he's a, he's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then when did this become like the full time gig? Um, well, I moved here four years ago and we, you know, out, like I said, Albuquerque is not a safe place. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get my kids out of that environment because it was a very negative, negative, negative environment. My son has had a lot of friends who've been killed. Oy. It's a bad place. And so, really? I just, yeah. And so it was just wow. time to get out. And my husband is actually still in Albuquerque working. So he goes back and forth because he has a, a, a really good law practice. He's pretty well known in New Mexico. So he can't leave yet, but when I came out oh, here, I so tried to... he still to, goes there regularly? Yeah, he's, he's there most of the time. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, so when I first moved here, I rented a space for six months and was trying to keep doing paralegal work, you know, continue my cases that I was working on and try to work on some stuff here. But it didn't really work out because he's not known here. He's known there because he's been a lawyer there for, you know, almost 30 years. Right. So... Um, that's when Ricardo asked me if I would be his partner. Mm. And so it just sort of evolved, you know. I mean, the funny thing about life is you think you have plans and you think you've got it planned out and then, boom, it changes. You know, and just like you, I'm sure you didn't, a few years ago, didn't envision yourself doing this. Just like I didn't envision myself doing this. Mm. I, this is not even something that would have been, ever been in my mind. Right. You know, like if you would have told me 10 years ago, you're going to be, you're going to have a jujitsu gym, a CBD company, I'm like, no way. There's no way. <laughs> Not a chance. Yeah. No, it's wild. Like I say it all the time. Like I never expected to be doing any of this work, having a nonprofit, talking about mental health, mm -hmm. doing jujitsu, <laughs> uh, public speaking. Yeah. You know, working with youth. I, I used to say all the time that I hated kids. I don't know why. That's not true. Yeah. That's not true at all. I like them. I think they're great and they're adorable and they're resilient and they have so much spirit and energy to them. I just never was around them enough to see yeah. that. So I just assumed that I didn't like them mm -hmm. because sometimes they can be annoying. Of course, yeah. I can be annoying sometimes <laughs> and I'm an adult, right? I get grumpy and it's like, okay, why do you expect them not to do the same when you're still doing it as an yeah. adult, you know? And now I'm around them all the time and it's great. Like, that's all I want to work with. I want to work with like these kids, seventh, eighth, ninth graders who are in like these kind of 
strange but interesting but cool developmental years where a lot of things are happening. They're getting, yeah. there's so much information that they can consume. Is it good? Is it bad? What What are they deciding is good for them, right for them? What's their identity? All of these things are so... Yeah, and you super know, crucial age. Yeah, and so if you have somewhat of a mentor in your life, it'd be like, okay, this person in my life is doing something. That means when I grow up, I can do something and be like them. You know, yeah. and it gives them something to strive towards. Not that I'm this like perfect mentor to everyone that I've talked to, but you know, you want to have that light in your life. Yeah. And I think that's cool. I never expected to do that or talk at middle schools or whatever. Like so cool yeah. you know and, and it, it really boils down to like that one event in your life that you thought was the worst event or the worst thing that ever happened to you it still is the worst thing that's ever happened to yeah. me right but it but there's a little bit of gratitude towards it because other stuff came from it that i never expected to happen yeah you know what i mean i think you have to find the silver lining you know because i think when you have something as catastrophic as we've had you you f have to, you either sink or you swim, you know, and some people never can recover from grief. Yeah. And I think you have to just sort of figure out, okay, I have to keep going. I have to figure out a way to be happy. And because, you know, those loved ones, they don't want you to be down. Yeah. And I used to always think about that because I lost my brother. We've talked about this. I lost my brother. So he was so full of life and so much fun. The life, he was a lot like Ricardo, you know, mm. kind of in a room full of people, that's the guy that you would notice because he was just full, so full of life. And yeah. so if I was didn't get my act together after he died, I mean, it took me a long time, I think he would have been really disappointed in me. You know, and now sometimes when I go and do tournaments and I go fight, I think, my brother would be shocked how awesome I am right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. even if I'm losing, he'd be shocked that I'm out there doing it. That's so cool to think about. Yeah. Um... You mind talking about your brother? What happened to him? No, he he had pancreatic cancer. So it was December of 2009 he was diagnosed. And he'd been sick for like three weeks. Not really sick, but he was jaundiced. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. And so he was stationed in Germany. He was in the Army. Mm -hmm. And they brought him back to D.C. And they cut him open. And they found a tumor wrapped around his pancreas. And they couldn't do anything so they closed him up, and back then, the survival rate for pancreatic cancer was, the five-year survival rate was 5%. Mm -hmm. So when we found out he had pancreatic cancer, we knew it wasn't good. He was 40, 44 when he was diagnosed. Young. Really young. He had three kids. So he, they closed him up. They said, okay, you can do chemo and see if it shrinks the tumor. But we all had hope, and he lived a year. And with pancreatic cancer, I mean, that's a gift, and we knew it was a gift. So it's a little bit different than your situation because... He lived a year, excuse not to cut you off, he lived a year like well, or he was always in the uh, hospital? Or? He was in the hospital in and out, but he was determined to get as much out as he could out of, out of his life. You know, he was, in, he was living in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and at, towards like maybe a few months, but maybe about six months before he died, he came out, we called it the farewell tour, mm -hmm. which is kind of sick, but you know, we all knew who it was. So he, he went to visit my brother in Austin, his best friend in Austin, San Antonio. He came to Albuquerque to see us. He went to Lubbock to see my parents. And it was a gift, you know. And I think when you know somebody's going to die, you treasure it all. I remember all, I kept all of his, his voicemails. And then one day I, after he died, I was at the table with my son, and I couldn't find the voicemails. And I started bawling because I thought, what if I forget what he sounds like, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, you think these these crazy things all the time. You know, what if I forget what he sounds like? Which I'll never forget what he sounds like. Mm -hmm. But my son is really technological and he figured out how to get him and he put him on a CD for me. Wow. So um, that was like, that was amazing. And I don't listen to it because, you know, I don't want to stay in that place. But um, I don't know, grief, grief is a tough one. And I think the difference between how we lost our siblings is that I had a year to wrap my head around it. And, you know, it was kind of crazy. I went to a counselor when I found out he had pancreatic cancer because I thought, okay, I'm going to prepare for his death. Mm -hmm. I'm going to prepare for this grief that I'm going to feel. I couldn't prepare for it. You can't prepare for grief. It's like having a baby. You can't, nobody can tell you. You, you don't know what it's like unless you, until you have a baby. Same thing with grief. You don't know what it's like until you have to go through it. And everybody grieves differently. Within my own family, I saw how differently everybody grieved. And for me, I'm a fixer. And so 
I was like, oh my God, I got to, you know, I have to do all this work in pancreatic cancer, kind of like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I have to help other people so that my brother's name lives on. So, I, you know, that therapy did not work for me because I thought I was going to be in control. I was a mess for years. You know, I thought I was in control, but now when I look back, I think, gosh, I could have, well, I could say I could have done better, but you never know. I used to tell myself, okay, grief, it's like a big, long, black tunnel. It's super dark in there, and I just have to get to the end because I know there's going to be light at the end. And I used to tell myself that, but man, that tunnel was long, and I was in there for a really long time because I have two other brothers. I'm the only girl. Mm -hmm. So my parents relied on me a lot, you know, mm -hmm. and my mom, you know, it's hard when you see your parents lose their son. It's, you know, it's, in, it's intense, and you don't, you try to be strong for them. They're trying to be strong for you. My mom would say, you got to be strong. you got to be strong for your kids and your husband, you know. And I would try. And some days, I, I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. It was hard. And um, I don't know. I started doing this work with pancreatic cancer. I started the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network in Albuquerque. And I helped a lot of people. I did a lot of awareness, made a lot of awareness. I went to a lot of funerals. Um, and it was... It fulfilled me because I felt like I helped people and people knew who my brother was. And right. he used to have this phrase. He used to say on his worst days, he would feel like crap. And he'd say, how's it going, Dino? And I remember he was in the hospital one time and he said, well, you know, the food's not very good, but today's a good day. And so that was his motto, today's a good day. So it became our family motto. Mm. My mom still, somebody made bracelets, purple those rubber bracelets yeah. with today's a good day. Yeah, she still wears it. She wears it every day. I got it tattooed on me. My husband got it tattooed. My son got it tattooed because it's such an important. I have it like plaques in my house that say it. I found coasters. If I find things that say it, I'm like, my brother's saying hi to me. I'm going to buy this, you today's know? A good day. Yeah, and it's such a great reminder that, you know, no matter how bad it is, there's something good in that day, mm -hmm. you know? In the situation, there's something good. And so, after a while, I thought, I'd, after actually, when I moved here, I stopped doing the work with pancreatic cancer because I had to give it up. And I thought, I'm going to take a break from it. I'm not going to, there's a, there's a really good affiliate here in Dallas, but I didn't want to do it. I just thought, I'm going to take a break and see how I do. And it actually was so good for me because I was able to walk away from pancreatic cancer, Yeah. which I felt like it was keeping me wrapped up in my grief and I didn't realize it but I think it was all connected and once I let go of of being in charge of that it's like I could breathe mm. does that make sense yes and it, you know I felt guilty at first because I am the fixer you know being the only girl people like you you got to take care of this you got to take care of this and I'm the third kid I'm not like the oldest kid yeah. but you know my oldest brother and I being the only girl we have a lot of responsibilities that have been put on us sometimes and I couldn't fix my mom. I couldn't fix my dad. My dad passed a few years later, but my brother's son, that's long stories, but my brother's son, the one that died a couple of years later, he got leukemia right. and he ended up, he, was, he was, had a body like you, really big, muscular. Then now he's in a wheelchair because there were so many things that went wrong because his leukemia kept coming back. He's like late 30s. You know, he was a lawyer. He had to take a break from that. And it was, they actually, he was in hospice and they told us he was going to die. And I remember that. We were all gathered around his bed thinking, how could this happen? How could my brother die? And now they're telling us his son's going to die. It's so overwhelming sometimes. You know, in those moments, there were so many things that happened in my life at the same time that were not related. But it was so intense that when we went through therapy, the therapist said, you guys got hit by a train. Mm -hmm. And it's not things, it's, they're really private. I don't want to get into them, but I mean, I'll tell you off camera. But yeah. um, it, there was so much that when I finally recovered from it all, is when I started jujitsu. And it kind of all, I, I attribute jujitsu with really helping me heal because it was something that I never thought I would do. And this goes back to the whole thing of you can't plan your life. Yeah. And being open to something different and like taking all that intense stuff that you go through and thinking, I survived that. I can do jujitsu. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy on top of me smashing me, I can handle that because I, I've lived through some really hard things and I'm still here, you right. know, and I'm still happy. So when you ask that question, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. If you would have asked me that question 10 years ago, 
I would have probably started crying. And I have cried in front of you. Yeah. We've had some deep conversations, but... Um, but mostly about love. Yeah. Missing someone. Yeah. Or grief, you know, not about... Yeah. Uh, life day-to-day being torturous or really bad, yeah. right? And sometimes it is, but... Yeah. But know. grief. Grief is one of those things that it's always there. It never goes away. Yeah. You think you have it handled and you're good and you can talk to anybody about it. And then one day you just start bawling mm-hmm. when you're talking about it because... I don't know about you, but for me, I don't know when that's going to happen. It just happens sometimes. Yeah. You know, I can talk about it all day long and be fine and smiling. And then one day I can say one thing and I'm like, ah, you know, it's, grief is a weird thing. It is. It's very complicated. It is. Because I have a few pictures of my sister in my house. Mm-hmm. Her favorite superhero was Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. And she, she was a cosplayer. She loved to cosplay and go to comic books, cons and all these things. Uh-huh. So you see really nice pictures of Miss Marvel. And so I have those in my house. So I know that that's her. Mm-hmm. But I'm not directly staring at her all the time. Yeah. But I have actual, actual pictures of her of my house. And some days I'll look at them and be like, hey, Rach, what's up? Love you. Miss you. Yeah. Great. And then some days I'll look at her and be like, and everything will just crumble. Yeah. And I'll be like, it's one of them days, you know, or a song will come on um, that we listen to together. Her favorite artist was Mandy Moore. I don't know why. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, and so she's, I have some of her songs on this playlist that I have called My Favorite Songs. And what, sometimes they come on, I'm like in a great mood. I'm like, yeah, it's firing me up. And other yeah. days I'm like, oh, here it is. Yeah. You know? And I just, I'm ready for it now. Yeah. Um, before I would try to push that away. I'd be like, you can't cry, dude. What are you doing? Like, no, you can't absolutely 100% cry. Yeah. Because you can feel it. Like, right. and if I'm driving in the car, I'm not going to try to ball my eyes out in the car because it's dangerous on my drive <laughs> road, right? But I'll, I'll still feel the emotions yeah. that are coming up. Or I'll pull over. I've pulled over many times. Like, you got to let this flow go. Yeah. Um, it's important, I feel like. Absolutely. I'm like, that's one of the biggest things I've learned with, with anything about life is that you have to feel what you're feeling first. And then once you've actually felt it, then you can address what you need to do from there. Yeah. If you're always pushing it down and shoving it away, then you're never actually going to know how to address what's happening. Yeah, that's right? true. And so that's what's important about learning these lessons or being grateful for certain situations in your life, right? Gratitude doesn't come from shame and guilt, right? I heard it a lot when I was like, uh, it's like uh, people say it all the time, like other people have it worse or... Um, you have a lot to be grateful for. And like those statements are true, mm-hmm. but they don't uh, resonate with people because they're wrapped in shame and guilt. You're forcing yeah. me to feel thankful for my situation when I haven't yet come to terms yeah, with my true. actual situation. Mm-hmm. Um, because the only way that gratitude works is I'm first very realistic about the things in my life. So mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't have enough money for food. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but I can pay my phone bill. Uh, I can keep my lights on um, and I can get this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now I'm very realistic about my situation. So then, okay, but I have a bed to sleep in. So now I can be grateful about that. Yeah. But if you don't know what your current situation is, there's no, you can't be grateful about anything Mm -hmm. because you don't have anything. You haven't, you haven't rubbed up your, your circumstances with your, with your current reality. And so that's what has to happen with gratitude is that we have to be honest with our situation first and then, okay, I, I, this is the things I, I need. Because I need to live, mm-hmm. and but these are the things I do already have. Awesome. Now I can build from there. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's important about gratitude, at least I think. And I think it's important about when you go through something awful. Yeah. Like losing someone or something or a breakup, whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, yeah. And like grief is. It's like people say all the time, like you just move on. Time, time helps you move on. It's like n- n- no. Yeah. You you move forward with it. Yeah, you, you learn how to, to handle it, I think. Right. You know, but it's always right there. It's always... Always, you know. And for me, it is all the time. Like you were talking about when you stopped doing some work with pancreatic cancer that helped you distance yourself from mm-hmm. it. Like, I, sometimes I feel... Cause I, I talk about my sister a lot, right? And speaking engagements on this podcast with people that I meet. It's on my website, all of these mm-hmm. things. And sometimes I talk about it so much that I feel like I'm... Like when I talk about it, I, it, it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me anymore. Like there's no feeling behind it. Yeah, like you're disassociated from it. And that makes me feel like shit. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you're talking about your sister. Like, it's weird, huh? But you've talked about it so much that it's like, well, it's just like a normal part of my presentation now. Yeah. So you just say it. And I'm like, what is the, like, how do you, like, it's like, so that, like, then I feel guilty about that. Mm-hmm. And then I, it's like this whole thing. It's like, that's still grief. That's still yeah. grief. Even though I'm 
okay about addressing it and talking about it and doing this mental health work and talking about suicide. And good stuff is very important to me, but I then sometimes get wrapped up in the guilt about not feeling emotional about it, like not having it resonate in my gut. Like yeah. when I look at her picture and I start bawling, like, why aren't you doing that? It's like, well, I can't do that every time I do a speech. Yeah. You know, I had so many things that happened in, in one time frame that when I would, like, I remember we would tell the therapist all the things and, and you just say it like a third person almost, like mm -hmm. a third party. And sometimes I'll talk about things and I'm like, it's not like it's me in the situation telling the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I'm an outsider looking into the, looking in. And I just came to the conclusion because I thought, what's wrong with me? You know, for the same thing. But I think it's your brain's way of coping. I really think that because yeah. if not, you're going to be a mess all the time, you right. know? And yeah, sometimes I feel like sometimes it's weird to talk about it and be like, yeah, and then my brother, you know, and you're just saying it because yeah. you have said it so many times. Right that it's almost like it's somebody else outside of you saying it. But I really feel like it's the brain's way of coping with it. Because if not, you can't talk about her every time and be bawling. Because yeah. then you can't give your speeches, you know? Right. And that's how I thought, I couldn't, how can I help people if I'm crying all the time, you mm -hmm. know? Because they're closer to the problem and I'm farther away from it, you know? Because they're right, it's just happening for them. It already happened for me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're in it. Whereas I'm backed away from it, you know what I mean? Because my brother had already died and these people were just having family members being diagnosed right. and dying. And so, yeah, I cried a lot. I, you know, when you're involved in that kind of thing, helping people that are in those situations, it's intense. And I think that's why your brain says, okay, no, you can't mm. cry all the time. Stop, this is how you're gonna do it. And I, I just think you don't even have control over it. Yeah. I felt like I didn't have control over it when I was just talking. And, I would think, what's wrong with me? You know, why am I checked out? But I'm not checked out. It's just the brain helping you. That's it's so a coping mechanism, I feel like. Yeah. That makes, I mean, that makes sense. Because how could you go and talk in front of all these kids that you talk in front of and all these people you talk in front of and you can't even talk because you're crying, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I, I feel like the emotions are good because people, people see it and they feel it, but... Sometimes they're also hard because you can't get across your message. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're a mess. Right. Speaking personally. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Because I'll, yeah, I'll talk about it and then, you know, and then I'll be with like a friend at coffee mm -hmm. and something will happen and then I'll just be like, you know, yeah. because I, I think maybe I was holding it back, or not holding it back, but trying to present yeah. in a way that was good. I think that's what it is. And beneficial. You're prepared to go into the situation, so your brain is ready for it. Yeah. But when you're not prepared and something hits you, like a song or, or whatever, a memory, or mm -hmm. I might see somebody say, today's a good day, that's when it hits me, when you're not mentally prepared for it, you know, and you, right. you can't, you don't see it coming. Yeah. Because I do, I, I, I prep for these speaking engagements, um, and when I'm done with them, whether it was an hour, 90 minutes, back to back, I'm very exhausted. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm tired, mm -hmm. because my brain is, like, on high alert. Like, I'm trying to present and say things in the right way that mean something, that resonate, while also talking about things that are extremely personal. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm done, it feels like I just did 17 hours of exercise. Yeah. And then I start to unwind a little bit, and then something will hit me like cool good and bad like like it'll be like wow that was like i get to do this like, mm -hmm. like it's really cool but like i get to do this because of this yeah and then it's like a full circle but if like it's like fluidity of emotions it's like feeling all of these things and being grateful for them and also being sad about them i mm -hmm. think these emotions can mutually coexist like yeah i think you can have multiple emotions at one time but you can only feel them if you're allowing yourself to feel them so I'll always be same with you, like, I'll always be sad mm -hmm. about my sister. Like, it's not, but I'm also really happy. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm my life is quite good. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? And I think yours is as well. Yeah. It's quite good. Like, I'm very, very lucky. Mm -hmm. um, and so, th those things happen. Like, they, that especially shows up when I go to, like, family functions. Um, I go to, like, 
my cousin's getting married or my grandma's yeah. 90th birthday. And I like love my family, love yeah. spending time with them. I don't get to see them very often because everyone lives everywhere. And in that moment, I'm so happy to be with them. Yeah. But at the same time, the exact same time, I'm like, damn, I'm, I'm really sad though. Yeah. Like, my sister Because there's shit. that gaping hole. Yes. You know, it, my niece, my brother's youngest daughter just got married in, in March. So we went to Chicago for the wedding mm -hmm. and it, all three of his kids have gotten married. And each time they got married, there was this giant hole. And you're like, where's Dino? Dino's not here, you know? And so for my niece's wedding um, at the reception, my brother's wife gave a speech and, you know, we were all doing good. We're holding it together. And then she played an audio clip of my brother. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And it was, I, my nephew sent me the video later on and it was a New Year's Eve years ago when they were kids and they're doing a cheers and he said, um, cheers, I love you guys. She took that video, that audio and played it. And I looked at my brother and we both lost it. And my mom thankfully couldn't hear it. <laughs> she didn't know what happened. I was glad because I think she would have lost it too. And yeah. it took me like 20 minutes to recover from it. I couldn't like, I was like, oh, you know, because it's those family functions like that where you think, gosh, I wish Dino was here. Mm, every you know? time. Yeah. While being at the same time, super excited. Yeah. You know, and then I also think about it at the same time, especially when we go to weddings, like, oh, my, my parents don't get that for one of their kids. Yeah. You know, my dad never gets to have his first dance. Yeah. With his daughter, like, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, I, so you think about all of those things at yeah. the same time. You do. And it's like, you know, I'm sure anyone who deals with grief knows that, right? Mm -hmm. It's like everything happens all at once and it's like happy, sad, overwhelmed, yeah. excited, grateful, kind of pissed. Uh, yeah. Shit. Yes. Great. Awesome. It's like, yeah. you know, and you still try to be in the present moment, mm -hmm. but that's really hard when, when all those things are happening because your cousin's walking down the aisle and your brain is yeah. like going a million miles a minute, but I'm trying to be there with her and my family. It's and right. You know, when my oldest son got married, um, my dad died while I was gone. So my son got married in France and I, my dad, I knew he was towards the end. My mom told me the day, two days before she said, will you make a video for the funeral in case he dies? while you're gone. So I made it as fast as I could. My dog the next day, I had to put my dog down. Then the day after that, we left for France. Mm -hmm. And that was a Saturday. And then a few days later, while we were in France, I remember we were in Paris about to take the train to go meet my, my son is married to a guy, to, to meet my son-in-law. Mm -hmm. I had never met him before. Um, the wedding was- No, you never met him before. I had never met him before. And that morning, my brother sent a text because it was night in Texas and it was morning, early morning in, in Paris. Dad died. And, you know, I had to deal with it. You know, I got on the train. I cried on the train. I thought, I can't, I have to pick an emotion because this is a happy situation. I have to be in the moment helping my son get ready for this wedding. I'm meeting my son-in-law for the first time. They're about to get married. I can't be a bawling mess. So I had to choose. It was the most bizarre thing I think ever because it was two complete opposite emotions and, and things happening. So dead dad, marrying son. And my dad, they did a funeral for him. Um, and I told my brother, make sure I can watch this online. So my brother made sure I could. My husband filmed, my dad wanted my husband to do a eulogy. Mm -hmm. So he filmed the eulogy. My son filmed it in France and we sent it to the church and they had it, they put it on there. And so Holy cow. We, we, we went from, we took the train to Bologna where my mom's from and we ran into the Airbnb. I texted the guy on, that had the Airbnb, please make sure the internet's set up because my dad is dead and I have to do this funeral. I have to watch his funeral. Right. I was like sort of hysterical, but we made it in time to watch the funeral. And then, you know, I had to keep going on because we were in Europe and doing family things, but it was a, it was a strange thing because it was a million emotions, but I had to pick one and I felt guilty for picking one, but I thought, mm. you know what? My dad is gone. He lived a long, good life. My son is here getting married. I have to choose life. And if I didn't have the experience from my brother's grief, I don't know if I could have handled that as well. You know, and I think the thing that happens when you have somebody so close to you, like a sibling, because we've talked about this, you know, grandparents die. Mm -hmm. It's the natural order. I expected my parents to die next, but it was my brother. And when your sibling dies, you're like, what? Mm -hmm. 
I was angry at God. I, you know, there were, a, I, you, you think everything you can, you can't understand it. You can't wrap your head around why a 45-year-old father of three is dead. Right. But you can't wrap your head around it. And I, it took me forever to figure that out. And so I feel like everything going forward was manageable because I had learned how to deal with that. So when my dad's death came along, it was the natural order. You know, he was, he had been sick for a while. He was older. He wasn't that old. He was in his 70s. But I was prepared for it, you know, and I had to pick an emotion. And the brain does amazing things. And that's why I say, I think sometimes when you talk about it, your brain just copes. It picks coping mechanism and you don't have any control over it. I think it's your brain putting the bad stuff back so you can function. It's a weird thing. The brain is amazing. It is. It's incredible because if you didn't have, if your brain didn't do that for you, how would you be? Would, you know, would you be crying all the time? Would you be a disaster? Would you go right. to your speeches and not be able to get through your speeches because you can't talk? You know, not right. be able to deliver your message that you need these kids to hear? You know, the brain is really incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Did you have a... Uh, what was your relationship with death like before your brother passed away? Well, my grandparents had died. You know, I, my mom lost her mother when she was 15. Her mom had cancer. My mom was the one who found her, you know. So it was always something that she lost somebody really young. And it was always part of our history, you know. I never knew that grandmother. My mom was always sad about losing her mom. I saw pictures of her. You know, she was in her 50s when she died. She was so beautiful. She died in Italy. She had cancer. There wasn't much they could do. It was in the 50s. And then, um, you know, I had uncles that died early. There's a lot of cancer in my family. Yeah. So, but nobody as close as my own brother. Right. You know, I think when it's your, I think you can deal with death when it makes sense. You yeah, know? when it goes on like this path that's understandable. Yeah. But when it's like, boom, your sibling, then it's, it's really hard to wrap your head around that, I feel like. Yeah. So it's a whole different way of dealing with death because it's your sibling and it's part of you and they're gone, mm -hmm. you know? And you know, and I, you know, I did so much like thinking when my brother was dying and after he died, like, gosh, you know, I, now I don't have a brother. And we've talked about this before when people say, how many brothers do you have? Do you have siblings? Yeah. And I, I say, I have three, but one's dead, mm -hmm. one died. And it's a conversation stopper, you know? And you don't mean to make it a conversation stopper. You're just answering the question. Mm -hmm. But they're like, oh gosh, because they don't know what to say. They're not, they're expecting, not expecting you to that say that. for sure, and I understand that. Yeah. That's been one of the most complicated things for me to deal with. Because at first, I didn't know how to answer. Mm -hmm. I would meet new people. I would go to an event, you know, and they'd ask me, what do you do for work? And how many siblings do you have? And now all those questions are intertwined. Before, mm -hmm. I would just be like, yeah. I'm a pro wrestler. And that would be a great segue into anything else. Because yeah. they go, oh, that's cool. Like, great, awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. How many siblings do you have? And, I, and at first, I would say, I'm an only child. And then I would go home again and feel really bad about myself. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you have a sister. She was amazing. Mm -hmm. Why? why like, and so then I had this like huge tug of war about what do I say? How do I say it? Um, it's okay if I don't say it because maybe I don't have enough space to say it or yeah. the person I'm talking to doesn't really seem very interested, so why would I waste that mm -hmm. on them when they're yeah. not even gonna pay attention to it and it'll just slide past them. Uh, and so I had this like, still have this huge debate, but normally I just say, I have an older sister. And if people ask follow-up questions, then I'll answer. Yeah. Like I have an older sister. Oh, how old is she? Well, unfortunately she, she passed away a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And that's how I usually answer it. Yeah. You know, if they don't ask any more questions, then I'm good because they don't actually care. Yeah. Right? And then I do I do have an older sister. She for, will forever be my older yeah. sister. And so I think I've found the best way for, at least for me, to handle it. Yeah. But it's still very complicated. It is a very complicated question. Yeah. And actually, after we had that conversation, I told my mom about the conversation. Mm -hmm. And because people ask her, how many kids do you have? And she always says, I have three, but one passed away. Yeah. You know, and I can't imagine as a mother, I can't imagine losing one of my kids. Like, I don't know how I would survive that. But my mom, you know, a few years later, she lost my dad. She did it. She survived. And she's like my model of tough because that lady, it's there. Her emotions are there. But she's able to handle them a lot better than I am. And maybe because she lost her mom at such a young age, yeah. grief has been, like, part of her life forever. Right. So I try to look at how she handled grief and try to model it. But 
everybody's grief is different. You know, you just have to go on your journey and figure it out. You have to actually, you have to go on it though. Yeah, you have to. And it's, and when, before he died, knowing he was going to die, I knew I was going to have to go on that journey. And that's a tough one because you're like, how am I going to handle this journey? You know, you were thrown into the journey. Yeah. You didn't have time to prepare for it. But I thought I, I was preparing for it, but you're never prepared mm -mm. for it. And no matter what, you could have your best friend say, my brother dies, same exact situation, but you would still not understand it because you don't understand it until you're on that journey. Yeah, just working through it Yeah. every single day in the trenches trying yeah. to figure it out. I feel like grief is the hardest thing you will ever do in life, grief, because it's... You have to survive, you know, and you, but you have to also feel it. You can't like brush it under the rug and think, I'm good, I'm good. Because it's like you just said, you know, you have to feel that. And I'm a feeler. I'm a very emotional person. Yeah. And so my emotions always come out. And, whether, and it's, sometimes I hate that because I can't control it and I'm crying in public. I hate that. Yeah. But it's who I am and I can't change it. And, but I would rather be like that than not let my emotions out mm -hmm. and then have a heart attack or something because right. it's all, it's there. It doesn't go away. You know, it's in your body. You know, my mom got breast cancer because my, when my dad was dying, she was his caretaker. And I think she had the stress of my brother, you know, the that grief. And then the stress, extreme stress of being a caretaker, she got breast cancer. And I know she got breast cancer because she was so stressed out and there was just so much inside of her. Yeah. And I feel like you have to let these things out. But some people just don't. Right. It's different for everybody. It is different for everyone. You kind of have to face the dragon head on. Yeah, you do. Right? Because when, when anything hard happens in your life, like you're avoiding a conflict or you don't want to do this or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The dragon is, you push it under the rug, but at that point, the dragon's like real small. Yeah. And so it only breathes like those little big flame. Like yeah. It's very small. It's manageable. Yeah. But you keep over time just shoving this dragon onto your rug. And then over time, it becomes a real fucking dragon and it burns your house down. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh -huh. so not to use a weird mythological analogy. No, but it's true. It's a good but analogy. But it's true. So like I can, I can tackle this small dragon. It's still scary. It's still frightening because it will still burn me but it's just a little burn. Mm -hmm. And if I keep facing it and facing it and facing it, yeah. voluntarily deciding to, to handle this, my grief, whatever it is, voluntarily deciding to go after it one step at a time, day by day, there'll be setbacks, there'll be hardships, there'll be adversities, I'll get burned. All of these things will happen. I'll need extra support on the way. But at least you're not letting it grow to this massive dragon where it burns your yeah. house down. And then you are in serious crisis mode at that point. Yeah. And that goes for like any challenge in yeah, your life. Yeah, it's true. I think at least. At least that's what I found to be true over the last no, couple of years. No, it's very true. Yeah. That's my that's yeah. the thing that's my favorite analogy is the dragon. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I say it I think I say it a lot, but you know, another time is good. Um, but it's true, you know, with grief I feel like in the very beginning it's like sometimes it's just five minutes at a time you gotta deal with. Then it's like yeah. an hour at a time. Right. And then every hour could be different, you mm -hmm. know? But then it gets like it gets a little bit more manageable. And it might take years. It took me years. Years. It takes years. Yeah, it's been almost 12 years for me. You're fresher in it than I am. But it's always there. And I feel like you just, after a while, you learn, okay, I can do this. You know, I'm, I live my life because I didn't for a long time. You know, I was, I was just not a happy person for a long time. And it affected my kids. It affected my marriage. Mm -hmm. It affected a lot of things. Um, I was not a happy person. And... I thought I was doing okay, but when I look back, I'm like, I was not in a good place. Mm. And when I finally was able to deal with the grief and, and handle it, it, life got a lot better, you know? And I just feel like it's, some people, it takes a while. I, but it's there. It's always there, forever. Yeah. But I, I choose to live my life as... Because you don't know, life is so fragile. Oh. It, it can change in an instant. Anybody you know can die instantly. And so I always try to make sure I end my conversations with my close friends, my family, especially with I love you, because I don't want the last conversation to be something that wasn't good, you mm -hmm. know? And I used to think about that, like my kids when they were in school, like we'd get to school, oh my God, get your stuff together, you know, like that craziness of getting your kid to school. Yeah. And then I would feel bad all day long because we were yelling at each other, you know, and so now I try, I'm just, I'm in a different place in my life. I'm a calmer person. I'm older. I, I've had a lot of life experience. So 
I just choose now to be happy, you know? And yeah, things are gonna happen that will change that, will alter that, but I, I'm going to be a happy person and I'm gonna get the most out of life as I can. That's why I do jujitsu. It's why I started competing because like competing is, um, I mean, you, you were a pro wrestler, so you, you get this, but when you're, a, you know, I started competing when I was in my late 40s. I've never done sports. You know, yeah. I've run some marathons, but I, I never did sports. I, I'm one of those people who is very safe and, you know, I don't like scary, dangerous things. Yeah. And um, to throw yourself out there and do a competition when you're that old is pretty incredible because it makes you feel alive, yeah. you know, and it's, you're about to get your, your butt kicked or you're about to kick somebody else's butt, but you're alive, you know, even if you get destroyed on the mat, you are alive and you're putting yourself out there and that nervous, crazy energy that's so scary that makes you want to throw up. But you can't feel that if you don't do it. You don't, you don't get anything out of life. So many people just like live their life like this at my age, you know? Mm. In fact, there are a lot of people I can't even, in my division, I can't find women to fight because there aren't a lot of us that compete. Really? So it's, yeah, not very many. So, because I mean, at 52, who's out there doing jujitsu? Everyone should. They should. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, I choose to live life and be happy. And I think that's, my brother was a happy person and I feel like he would be really proud of me that I moved forward with life and I chose happiness, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like that with your sister? Yes. Yeah. She was, uh, yeah, she was the, the light of the, the room, right? She had this like magical smile. She's always smiled so big where you could see the top of her gums. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so good. So I think about that a lot, you know, and she, she was a very resilient person. And so because she had uh, severe depression and bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. you know, and she had it, she battled with that for about 11 years. Wow. And she, she graduated with an engineering degree, got an engineering job, was working at Raytheon, all of these things. Um, so to say that, basically to say to anyone struggling with a mental health condition, like you can achieve great things. Mm -hmm. And so I view her as a very tenacious, resilient person and just a lover of everyone. Um, and so I, that, that's what I take from her. And yeah, and I, I know she'd be proud of me because she is helping a lot of people. Not me. Yeah. I'm just the vehicle. Yeah. She is helping a lot of people understand that uh, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? There's, there's things that you're going to go through that are going to be very hard, but you are capable and resilient. And so she's constantly changing my life. Uh, and, and I think anyone that I speak to, their lives as well. So it's like quite a magical thing. Yeah. You know? It's awesome. Is, um, was what you just talked about maybe the biggest or most important lesson that you learned from going through all of this? Yeah, I think so, because I didn't, when I was in all of the things, because I told you a lot of things happened, and it, things just kind of kept coming at us, mm -hmm. and it was like, I, we kept getting like pushed down, pushed down, but we kept getting back up, you know, and I felt like if you can keep getting, there was a quote somewhere, it says something like, if you fall down, make sure you fall with your face up so you can get up, you know, and um, something like that. But I used to always think about that quote because I thought, okay, I can get back up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, m my mental state was, it was hard. You know, it's hard when you're in a lot of hard things. Mm -hmm. and, but you have to keep telling yourself, I am tough. I can do this. I can get up. I can do this. And um, I did, you know, and I'm proud of myself for surviving all the things that I survived and my family surviving all the things. And now that I get to do this every day, this, like, I can come in here feeling, like, not so great, and I get on the mat, and I get my butt kicked by you guys, mm -hmm. and I feel better, yeah. you know, because you, in jujitsu, you're in the moment. You can only be in the moment. You, you can't think about any other thing that's happening in your life. You have to be in the moment because you're trying to defend yourself from getting choked to death, right. you know, and that's not, it's an exaggeration, kind of, you but you could get choked to death if you don't tap. <laughs> right, you should tap. And yeah. it brings a sense of humility, right? Yeah. So you have to have some humility. You have to remove your ego from the situation. Yeah. Because if you think you're tough, there's someone who's tougher. Yeah, always. For sure. Always. You're always going to get beat by somebody. Right? And so <laughs> you should tap because that's part of the deal. Yeah. Right? You're just learning how to do it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. Anyways, keep going. No, I mean, and I do. I think, you know. I choose to be happy, and that is the biggest lesson that I've learned, you yeah. know, and it took a long time to learn that lesson, but I think, you know, with age comes wisdom, and for sure, life 
deals a lot of hard blows and you have to just keep going. You know, you have to th find the things that make you happy and you just have to live life because you don't know how long it's going to be. And like I said, you know, like my biggest analogy of living my life like to the the most like getting so much out of it is when I compete mm. because it's so so scary but it's like oh my god I can feel these things that you know if I was just sitting on the couch being sad I would never feel right and if you win it's even even better you know if you lose you lose but you did it you know and jujitsu has given me so many tools to just be able to deal with life so like when I said it gives you problems problem solving skills it really does because right. when a situation comes up that I think, oh my God, I, I don't know if I can handle this. I just breathe and I figure out a solution to it, you know, and yes. it's, it might take me a few minutes to figure it out, but I can calm down and figure it out. And jujitsu, that's, it has changed my life for the better because it's, like I said, if I can go through all those hard things, I can do this. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Because I always think, well, I can do jiu-jitsu. I can handle this problem, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Hmm. Okay. A couple more questions. Okay. <laughs> and then I'll let you go. Okay. Um, tell us about this, Warrior CBD. Oh, Warrior CBD. I know you mentioned it briefly before, yeah. but... Um, we have um, oils, CBD oil for mm -hmm. sleep. It, you know, CBD is an anti-inflammatory, so when you train jiu-jitsu, but even older people, my mom uses the topicals because she has a lot of edema, mm. but we have uh, pain sticks, we have pain salves, we, you know, topicals for if you're hurting, you hurt your elbow, doing something here. Um, the oil for sleep, it's really good for anxiety. Mm. I use it before I compete. Um, we have tea. That's even. That's really awesome. It's herbal tea with CBD in it. Nice. But we started the company because you're always in pain in jujitsu, and I thought, why not combine the two things? And we are in a place where we get to sponsor ADCC. I don't know if you know what ADCC is. Mm. It's one of the biggest jujitsu tournaments in the world, and it it happens every two years. Yeah. People do trials all over the country, all over the world, and then they the people that get in compete in Vegas in September oh, wow. so we get to be a sponsor for it so we'll have a booth there and I am super pumped about that that's cool so yeah congratulations thank you wow. it's it's funny you know because I get to combine this with CBD and healing and feeling better you know and I um that's what I, I'm always trying to feel better yeah you know even with my Crohn's disease I'm just trying to feel better you know you got to take what you can out of life and yeah and live it and live it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> okay, one last question. Okay. It's an important one. Okay. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. If you could put a billboard up anywhere in the world and millions of people would see it all of the time, what would you put on that billboard? Today's a good day. I knew it. <laughs> I don't even have to think about that That's one. That's right. Yeah. Today's a good day. Yeah. Today was a good day. Or it was a good, a good day. day. It's like almost three o'clock. We did good. We got here at like 10.40. I got here at like 10.45. Did a lot better than I thought for my first podcast. <laughs> yeah. Come on. We did it. Nice. You only, uh, you only twirled this a little bit. I know. I only as like. You got a, as you got a little nervous. <laughs> but no, you nailed it. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. We'll have a part two. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll have Ricardo on. Oh, yeah. And Anthony. <laughs> I'm just going to have every person that I do jujitsu with on this podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, because everyone does something different. Everyone yeah. seems to be very cool. So a lot of cool people here yeah. and they all have different lives. And, right. Yeah. But I want to start with you. We <laughs> well, have, thank we've, you. Well, we've had the most private conversations about here than I've had with anyone so far. So I figured you'd be a perfect person. Yeah. Because the moment I heard you, when I asked you, what, what do you have a podcast? Because I had heard you had a podcast. Yeah. Somebody said, oh, Aaron has a podcast. And I said, oh, what's it about? And they said, I don't know, jujitsu. But they didn't know. They just <laughs> oh, said it. Okay. And so, so that's... I've been doing jujitsu <laughs> in like two weeks. I know. That. That's weird. But okay. So when I, <laughs> <laughs> when I asked you and you said it was mental health, and then I, you said you had a you had the foundation, yeah. I thought, oh, there's a reason for it. So I looked it up. Yeah. And then I saw it was your sister. And I thought, oh, wow. We have something really in common. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of nice because, you know, like I told you, when I lost my brother, I was desperate to find people who lost siblings to, to see how they dealt with it, right. you know, because my, my mind was crazy, you know, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, um, actually, I started looking for people who lost siblings before my brother died just so I could 
ask them how you deal with it, you right. know. But um, to find somebody who lost a sibling, it's it's not something everybody understands. Mm -hmm. And you can tell people, yeah, my brother died, and and they're they're very empathetic, sure. but they don't know what it feels like, mm -hmm. you know. And so when I you told me when I saw it was your sister, I thought, well, that's uh, we have something really in common. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had some good conversations. Yeah. And it's nice because we get it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Thank you. You did great. Thanks a lot. <laughs> did great. All from that one question. I know. How are you? <laughs> well, I asked you a few more after that, but yeah, no, great. Amazing. Episode 102. Okay. That's I'm ready. That's pretty good. I mean, come on. That was um, fun. We're not done yet. Oh, we're not done. Oh, I'm like, we're still going. <laughs> I got to give like an outro. Come on. We just, I, I really just keep it rolling on this pod though. And there's no edits. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I burped once. <laughs> That's going to be in there, all of this, <laughs> for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you, and thank you for watching episode 102 of Jackson Talks, everybody. Um, if you missed any episode, they're all on jacksontalkseverybody.com. And if you like this episode or you want to try jiu-jitsu, come to Royal Art and try some jiu-jitsu. First jiu class is free. First class is free. Nancy will, um, she'll teach you everything, along with Ricardo. <laughs> but, no, it's super cool. And, uh, yeah, thanks for watching or viewing or listening. And if you haven't, subscribe on YouTube or give us a review on Apple, Spotify. If not, thank you and have a great day. And I'll see you guys next time. Cheers.